0: So happy to have you joining us here today. We're continuing a series, which is um, the title, kind of our slogan here at STSA, which is bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. And what we've been doing for the past four weeks is searching through, back through history, and looking at the church that Jesus himself established. And we're trying to see, does that church that Jesus established, because we believe that when Jesus was on this earth, he established a church. It wasn't just a philosophy, but an actual Functioning church, does that church still exist? And what we've been doing every week for the past four weeks is looking at a different aspect, historically, biblically, through the church tradition, okay, of what that church looked like and seeing does it still exist today? And the punchline is that yes, it does still exist, and that is the Orthodox Church. For those who are here in week one, we talked about what is the church. And we said the church is more than just a gathering on Sundays. The church is more than a denomination. The church is more than a statement of belief. What the church is, is the eternal body of Christ. The church is not a human institution. It's not a human organization. It is a divine, or the word that we used that week was theanthropic, for those who remember, means it is something God on earth. So therefore, because it's something God on earth, it's not something that I or you or anyone can say, it's my church or I'm establishing a church, or I'm starting a church. No one can say that because the church is bigger than me. The church is something that goes back before me, goes back to Christ. And actually we talked about that first week is actually before even Christ in the sense of Christ on this earth because we said that Moses was part of that church. And we said David was part of that church. It's an eternal family of God. It's God on this earth. So that was the first week. And because the church is something bigger than any human being, no human being has the right to change it or to um, modify it or to add or to delete, correct? So that's why we talk about the second week, the protector of that faith, the protector of that church is tradition. And tradition, people who go to churches that don't believe in tradition say, how can you go to a church that has tradition? It's so easy for anyone to make something up and just say it's tradition. Well, i tell you the exact opposite. How can you go to a church that doesn't believe in tradition where anyone could just make something up and say, well, I'm the pastor, so I believe this, or my father taught me this. We don't need my ideas or your ideas. We need the church that Christ gave to his disciples, and they gave to their disciples, and they gave to their disciples, to their disciples, to their disciples. And what keeps the church in line is tradition. Tradition is the fence. Tradition is what says that I, as an Orthodox priest, don't teach what I want to teach, I teach what I've been taught, and that's what tradition is. It keeps us in line. That's the holy tradition. Last week, for those who were here, we looked at worship. We talked about the purpose of the church. Why do we go to church? We go to worship God, and we looked at what does worship mean, and we said worship is more than just come and listen to a nice message on a Sunday. Worship the way Jesus intended it to be, the way God from the start of the scripture intended it to be was something where man and God united together. More than a song, more than a sermon, more than a cup of coffee, more than something that makes me feel good. It is medicine for my soul, which is through communion with God. And we said that's what we're looking for in the church. And that's hopefully what we find here. Now, today, we got a hot topic here for today. A hot topic because whenever it comes to topics like, what does the Orthodox Church believe? Anytime someone comes to me and says, what are you? I say, I'm an Orthodox priest. What do y'all believe in? I'm Baptist. I'm Lutheran, I'm Catholic, I'm whatever. I always say we got more in common than different. Agree with that statement? We got more in common than different. Today we got more different than in common. Today's topic is the one where there's the greatest difference amongst Christians. One topic we're going to talk about today. And you got Christians from one end of the spectrum to the other one. This is the one where we disagree the most. So because today is a hot topic, we are going to... Okay, as I already mentioned earlier, and as as our, our host mentioned, that we have a QA session today after the well. Okay, where I'll be answering any questions. And we wanted it to be today, because I assume there'll be a lot of questions about today's topic in particular. So anyone is welcome to, to ask whatever questions you want there. But I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to ask three of the questions that's already on your mind. I'm going to present today. I'm the, I told you from the beginning, this is me like presenting like a lawyer. You're like the jury. I present the case, and I present, I'm going to present you today three facts. Three facts. I'm going to present three facts from the Bible and church history, three facts. And then I'm going to do you a favor and present your objections to those facts and try to respond to them. But I'm actually not going to be the one doing the objection. We're going to actually have a special guest come in today, join me up here on stage, who's going to uh, make a cameo appearance to uh, do the objections part, but that's later on in the story. You'll see him in a little bit. Our topic for today is what? Our topic for today is Virgin Mary. <clears throat> Who is Virgin Mary? Well, we not we need today, as I put in the title in your handout, we need the truth about Mary. Because when you talk about Virgin Mary or Saint Mary, the saints in general, okay, the one area amongst Christians that we have the most vehement disagreement. And you can find, like I said, you can find a group that say Saint Mary, and you give her some groups, okay, from the Roman Catholic tradition would call her co-redemptrix. You heard that term before? Like co-redeemer. And they give her a big, big, big title. Then you have the other end of the spectrum, the evangelical and the Protestant world that would say that say no title, no nothing special, basically Sarah plain and tall. She's no different than Sarah plain and tall. So you have this wide range, okay, from people who put her almost at the level of God. And some would say even put her at the level of Christ. And then some who put her as no different than your next door neighbor. We're going to find as has kind of been the theme throughout this series is, the Orthodox Church, the church that Christ started, usually on these kinds of issues, finds itself in the middle. Not to this extreme, or not to this extreme. Not put her at the same level as Jesus, but also not discount her as no different than your next door neighbor. And We're going to see that here today. What I'm going to tell you right off the bat is the problem when you talk about St. Mary, talk about the saints in general. The problem is just like our presidential election system. Your opinion about St. Mary most probably isn't because of your study or your Bible reading or anything that you discovered. It falls along party lines. So if you are in a church of this, you say, yes, I am, and I won't say whatever church, whatever it may be, and yes, and those no good whatever, they worship St. Mary and they put her same level as God, and you just automatically gave yourself a political stance or a religious stance based on your affiliation. And this group over here and say, then those guys, they treat her as nothing. They ignore the mother of God himself, herself. And they, and your opinion, your bias that you come in here with today is based on kind of where you grew up and who was your Sunday school teacher. And what, what I'm trying to say is very few people are actually digging into the Bible, digging into the historical uh, the, the, the history of the church and seeing what has the church always believed about St. Mary? What did Jesus teach about St. Mary? What does St. Mary say about herself? What do the angels say about her? And that's what we're going to do here today. So we need all biases. Throw those things away. We're going in here with a clean slate. Not saying, not trying to, put, to to defend this point or defend this point. What is the position that the church should have and has always had towards the mother of Jesus who is St. Mary? I'll start you off here with a quote from someone that everybody respects. No one can say nothing bad about this guy, Billy Graham. He said, we evangelical Christians do not give Mary her proper due. Billy Graham said that on several occasions, actually. And I like this quote because it starts us off with the right frame of mind. Let's start asking ourselves this question. Forget about the party lines. Forget about the debate. What is the proper due that St. Mary is worthy of? What is her proper due when it comes to honor, dignity respect role in the church today what is her proper due? and again we're erasing all in our mind and we're going to see what is it supposed to be i'll tell you right off the bat okay as as mr graham taught us said right here is that today where the church is today in america majority of american christians today do not give her proper due because the majority of christians in america today can have a relationship with god completely exclusive of saint mary and i'm not saying anything yet but i'll just tell you this that if you were a Christian the first 18 centuries, 18 centuries is how long? That's 1,800 years. From when Christ to the year 1,800 roughly, 18 centuries. If you would have walked into a church, you would have never walked into a church and not seen a picture of St. Mary. If you were listen to the hymns and the worship in the church, you would very, very difficult for you to enter an entire worship service and not hear her name mentioned on several occasions. The oldest forms of Christian art It's usually about Christ in the lap of his mother, St. Mary. You go search for this online. You go to the ancient um, monasteries and where they found all these icons from back in the early days, and it's always images of St. Mary. You could not have been a Christian in the first 1,800 years and have escaped St. Mary as a part of your life. With that said, three facts, three objections to facts. That's our goal here for today. Ready? Fact number one. Fact number one is simple. She's the greatest woman who ever lived. She's the greatest woman who ever lived. And I'm not telling you any opinions here today. I'm telling you facts. You say, how is that a fact? First of all, I say she's the greatest woman. The reason why I didn't say she's the greatest human or the greatest person is because Jesus. Okay, so he he wins. He's number one. Okay, so my point here is to say I'm not saying... There's all these great men, and then, yeah, of all the, the lowly women down there, yeah, no, what I'm saying is that she's the greatest other than Christ. But I just couldn't say, because I don't want to mix up, because I don't want to say that Christ wasn't a man, because Christ was a man. So, anyway, greatest woman who ever lived, and that, again, is not my opinion. That's biblical record. It says so in the Bible. It says so by the mouth of an angel and a human being. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, this is angel Gabriel, said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. The angel said, here's women, blessed are you among women. And later on in Luke chapter 1 verse 42, Elizabeth said, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The scripture says about St. Mary's that amongst all women, she is most blessed. She is the greatest. How? What makes her more blessed, most blessed? Well, This is one, again, forget about your party lines. Forget about your bias. Nothing that differs from making what you blessed and making me blessed. She wasn't most blessed because she was born sinless, as some churches teach. We don't believe that at all. She was born like me and you with a nature like me and you. But she made choices throughout her life that made her most blessed. She, from a very young age, chose to live a consecrated life to God, chose to live a life of purity, a life of holiness, so much so that when God surveyed the face of the earth, and said i need someone to call the mother of my son he chose her think about this those who kind of lower saint mary's position if i told you today i have something in my hand let's say let's say this shoe i have a shoe right here here's my this shoe this shoe was worn by jesus if i told you this shoe this shoe held jesus foot inside here jesus foot was in this shoe for 1 second what'd you do with the shoe? First, I'd take it off. I'd hold it up. I'd build a case. I'd make charge to come see it, okay? We'd say, that's the most blessed shoe in the whole wide world. Why? Because it held the foot of Jesus for how long? One second. If I bring you a shoe that held the foot of Jesus for one second, you would say there's no greater shoe in the whole wide world. Agree or disagree? Well, I'd tell you that St. Mary held the Son of God in her womb for nine months. For Nine months. She had The one who could not be contained in all of heaven and earth. All of heaven and earth cannot contain. God was contained inside her womb. Not only she had Jesus inside her womb, but she eventually gave birth to that God who was inside her womb. And she raised that child Jesus. And she cared for that child Jesus. Now moms, y'all know this to be true. That the greatest servant in the whole wide world is a mother. And what a mother does is beyond what anyone else does. So she, from a very, very early age, chose to consecrate her life to serving Christ as a mother. And a mother does like every job in the whole wide world, plus them. So we can think of her, not just as someone who lived a life of holiness, but the greatest servant who ever walked the face of this planet. We also see about St. Mary, she was the first one to surrender her life to Christ. The first one when the angel said, Christ is going to come inside you. And she said, behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She surrendered herself to him. And then when, when, when uh, uh, later on she spoke, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. First one to realize that Christ was the savior of the world. What I'm trying to say is, okay, there's a, a, a title they used to give her in the early church. They called her the first of the redeemed because they're saying that she's not different than me and you, but she was just excell- excelled in those areas where we should all be striving to excel. And we see that right here. I don't know if y'all can see this icon very well. I put it up on the screen too, slightly different version. We see that in this icon. This icon is called the icon of the Theotokos. Theotokos is a Greek word. It's actually two Greek words put together. Theos, meaning God. Tokos, meaning bearer of, okay? That's why it's commonly translated mother of God. And it means mother of God, but it doesn't mean mother. It means the one who bore in her womb. So the only one who bears in her womb is the mother. Okay, but it's not, it's not the same word as what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean mother, like mom. It means the one who bore in her womb, okay, God. And we always call St. Mary Theotokos. That's her title. And some people don't like the title and why you give title and why you elevate her. Look, the title of Theotokos has nothing to do with St. Mary. It wasn't given to honor her, elevate her. It was given to honor and elevate Christ. Because in the early church, there was a debate. Did St. Mary bear in her womb, a human. And then the Holy Spirit came upon that human and made him into God. Okay, so they made Christ not a real God, real human. They made him some kind of like, like a Spider-Man. Okay, born human and then like, or an Avenger, like uh, enhanced, okay, along the way. They made him something like that. And the church said, no, from the start, from the moment of conception, he was 100% God, 100% man. So she in her womb did not bear man, She bore God. And the title of Theotokos is to show that she is the God bearer, not the human bearer. It's more about his nature than it is about hers. But what I want to show you in this, you look at the screen right here. She is the first of the redeemed. She's who we're all striving to be. Two things I just point out. She sits, first of all, on a chair. That chair looks a lot like a throne. That throne looks a lot like another icon we have in the church of Christ sitting on a very similar throne, which shows that all of us, As believers, we are called to be kings and queens, not poor children. We're called to be children of the king. And the children of a king sits on a throne like the king. What makes her the ability to sit on a throne is he who sits in her lap. And you'll very rarely see an icon of St. Mary in an Orthodox church alone. You will see some. I'm not saying you won't. There are some. But the majority of time, you see Christ in her womb or in her lap near her heart. Why? Because that's the image that all of us are striving for is Jesus inside of us. And when Jesus is inside of us, and Jesus is close to our heart, then we sit on thrones just like Virgin Mary did. That's fact number one. She is the greatest woman who ever lived. Fact number two, <clears throat> kind of is derived from fact number one. We're supposed to honor and venerate her. We're supposed to honor and venerate her. And I know this is a tough one for many people. Again, depending on how you were raised. And some people say, you know what, Father Anthony? Man, I can accept priests. I can accept liturgy. I can accept communion. But I never accept these saints. And and praying to a saint and worshiping a saint. Man, one mediator between me and God and no saints. And you you kill me before I pray to a saint. First thing I tell you if that's you is relax. Relax. We don't worship saints. And I didn't say to worship Saint Mary. I said to honor her. Our problem is two problems here. Number one, we see worship and then nothing until ignore. We're going to have these two extremes. Either we worship her or we ignore her. Well, I want to say, is there something between worshiping someone and ignoring someone? Like, do you worship me? No, but you shouldn't ignore me. Okay, like you should be somewhere in between and you shouldn't worship me, but you shouldn't ignore me. You should honor me as the honor that I'm due, but it doesn't mean like you worshiping me. It means there's something between worshiping and ignoring and that's the word of venerate, okay? And venerate simply means to give honor or to give respect or to, I'm telling you right now, do we venerate human beings? Do we venerate human beings? If the president of the United States of America walked in those doors, what would you do? You, you Stand up, okay? You'd honor him, you'd greet him. as. Forget about it. If Michael Jordan, no Michael Jordan, if Justin Bieber, okay, walk down this aisle, okay, I'm telling you, you go to a Justin Bieber concert, and there's veneration happening all around you, because veneration just means to regard or treat with reverence or revere, okay, it just means to regard or treat with reverence or to revere someone, and everywhere you go, there are people amongst us right now, okay, who love to venerate Justin Bieber, and you can see him there are people amongst us right now we are having fun today here, in Noel. We're having fun today there. There's some people there you may recognize who are big Justin Bieber fans. What I'm saying is veneration is just that. Veneration is, oh, there he is. Ah, oh, venerate, And uh, we honor people, forgive me, who are worthy of nothing. We honor people who have done nothing. And we revere people who are worthless. And if someone like St. Mary come, mother of the one that we say, that's our Savior, that's our beloved Jesus and his mother walk in the room? Are we, did his mother's name come up? and We ignore? What I'm saying is, even if you, even if you don't, even if you didn't come from an Orthodox and you don't understand this stuff, if someone you love and that person's mother, then out of respect for the person, you honor the mother. <clears throat> Some people say, Honoring a person who's dead is different than honoring a person who's alive. No, it's not. And I'll tell you this. You, your grandmother died. You loved your grandmother. She was a special person. So most likely, if I come to your house, I'm going to see pictures of your grandma on the wall. And no one thinks twice about that. And I say, why do you have dead people up on your wall? You say, hey, Father Anthony, back up. That's my grandma. Be nice to her. And I'm telling you, your grandma wasn't the most blessed among those among women. I'm telling you, your grandma, as great as she was, she didn't carry Christ in her womb. So why is it that we can honor our grandma when she dies, we can honor our mom when she dies, but honor the mother of Jesus? No, no, no. That's a dead person. Get her out of there. Erase her from the books. Simply is not not right. And what I'll say is this is when those who struggle with this, remember I said before, between worship and ignore, between worship and ignore, we struggle with this. You know the reason why we struggle with this? Is because we have watered down the meaning of the word worship. And for some of us, worship, we grew up, worship just means sing a song. And if worship means sing a song, we do sing songs about Mary. We do. A lot of our hymns, we sing about her, but that's not worshiping. Our view of worship has always been much greater than a song about, or a sermon about, or an icon hang. Our view of worship, as we kind of talked about last week, if you look at from the beginning of the Bible, God's view of worship was always connected with sacrifice. Not just a song, not just a sermon, but it was always with a sacrifice, something being offered. And that's what we believe. So that's why for us, worship is the sacrifice, is the Eucharist, which we talked about last week. So that's why for us, we, we don't have a problem to sing a song about Virgin Mary. And we know it's not worship because our worship, we define it as differently. Does God honor those and venerate those who have gone and passed away. Look what it says right here. Jesus said, John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This is why in our liturgy, we say the following sentence. As this, O Lord, is the command of your only begotten son that we share in the commemoration of your saints. We are commanded to honor those who have served God. And that's why after that, we list we go through the list of saints. Again, we're not worshiping the saints. We are commemorating them. What we're doing is, as we're walking in the house of God, we're looking at, and there's grandma who passed away. And there's mom who passed away. And there's uncle so-and-so. We're commemorating the rest of the family of God. And we will also, in the Orthodox tradition, as we did today, for four or five names, I think, commemorate those, our loved ones. And you'll say, this is the year anniversary of my mother's passing. And today was the, the four-year anniversary of a friend who several of us may have known who passed away several years ago. So we remember it. We remember for our mother the day she died. And every year on that date, we remember our mother. So why different than Virgin Mary or all the saints who have gone before us? This is what St. Mary said, okay? As she spoke prophetically by the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant For behold, listen carefully, all you believers, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And this is in that famous speech where she gave, where she said that, speaking prophetically, how God has exalted the lowly, filled the hungry, taken down those from their mighty thrones. She gave all these prophecies, and all of them have come true. Except, sadly, over the past three, four hundred years, this one. Because there are now generations of Christians who don't call her blessed and don't honor her and revere her. And that's not right. And you say to yourself, but, you know, honoring her, that's not in our tradition. It's not in our tradition and the saints and we just go straight to Christ and the saints. Look, let me tell you something right here. I said in the beginning, first 1800 years of Christianity, no one had a problem with St. Mary. First 1800 years of Christianity, no one had a problem. I'm talking about Two, three hundred years, people say we shouldn't. But you got 1,800 years of people, disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, their disciples, their disciples, their disciples, until the last very small piece of history that said we can get her out of the churches. And I said 1,800 years. And some of you thinking to yourself, hey, wait a minute, didn't the Reformation happen in the 1600s? Didn't the Reformation happen in the 1600s? So you meant Father Anthony's 1,600 years. I say no. Because did you know that those who led the Reformation, those who led the Reformation, many of them had no problem with St. Mary. And even they didn't want to remove her. And she wasn't removed till later. I'll get you some quotes right here. And you can try to guess who this is from. It says, The veneration of Mary is inscribed in the very depths of the human heart. Next quote. No woman is like you. You are more than Eve or Sarah, blessed above all nobility, wisdom, and sanctity. Best one. She is the highest woman and noblest gem in Christianity after Christ. She is nobility, nobility, wisdom and holiness personified. We can never honor her enough. Still honor and praise be given must be given to her in such a way as to neither injure Christ nor the scriptures. Who said all three of those quotes? Someone who many today call one of the founding fathers of Christianity. Martin Luther himself said all that. And Martin Luther, as we'll see, we have more quotes from him as you'll see in a little bit, never had a problem. With St. Mary. He had problems with other stuff, and rightly so. With Some of them, some not. I'm not here to defend him or say him. But what I'm saying is, even those who led the Reformation, even in the year 15, that's why I put that year, 1531, it was clear that St. Mary's place in Christianity was established and could not be removed. So number one fact that we learned about her, she is the greatest woman who ever lived. Number two, because she is the greatest woman, she is to be honored and revered, and we call that veneration, not worship. Number three, we get a little bit touchy. Number three, she makes intercession for us all. Here I go bringing that intercession word in there. Okay, and that's kind of a touchy subject, because again, we like to pray to Jesus. We don't like people between us and Jesus. What are you saying here, Father Anthony? We need to go through St. Mary to get to Jesus? Again, hold your horses. Hold your horses. First of all, Again, let's define our terminology because sometimes we get tripped up on semantics. If I say the expression, we pray to St. Mary. Pray to St. Mary. Is that an okay expression or not okay? Depends how you define pray. And the word pray traditionally doesn't mean what it means today. Today we, we mix pray and worship. So if I say we worship St. Mary, no, we don't worship St. Mary. But pray, what does the word pray mean? If you go read Shakespeare... If you go, you see how the English language was used for so many hundreds of years. What does the word pray mean? I pray thee, pass the salt. I pray thee, open the door. Pray just means ask, okay? Pray tell, okay? Pray just means ask. We turned it into worship, okay? So if I say, do we worship St. Mary? No, one do worship St. Mary. But if I say, is it okay to ask St. Mary for stuff? Yeah. You just ask me to pass the salt, you ask me to open the door. You ask me to pray for you. Is it okay to say, Father Anthony, I pray you to remember me in your prayers. I ask you to remember me in your prayers. Absolutely, we do it all the time. And the Bible tells us as such. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We do this all the time. You tell me I got a job interview. Please pray for me. You tell me that you are you broke your toe. Please pray for me. Okay. You tell me that your kids are crazy. Please pray for me. Okay. We do this all the time. Now you say, hey, wait a minute. But we're asking a living person to pray for us. Then I say to you, so only living people can pray? So what is it that actually does the praying? Like think logically. What is it that does the praying? You say, Father Anthony, pray for me. Father Anthony prays. Is it my fingers that pray? Is it my mouth that prays? Is it my ears, my nose? Or is it my spirit? Well, our belief is that the spirit does not die when the body dies. So yeah, my, buried, my body may be six feet under, but my spirit is actually soaring in the heavens. So if you can ask me to pray while I'm alive, when I'm distracted, and when I got different stuff going on, why wouldn't you be able to ask me to pray after I have been freed from the shackles of this world? Another verse right here. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'll tell you this. Sometimes people say, I don't believe in these saints' prayers. I don't believe in these saints' prayers. The Bible says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. I tell you, you go to the righteous people to pray. And I tell you that if you want my prayers, but you don't want St. Saint Mary, Saint Mary prayers, you're a sucker. You're missing out. Because my prayers may be good, but St. Mary's prayer, man, those are much stronger prayers. It's the mother of Christ herself who lived this life of purity. And that's why I tell people. They say, I don't believe in the prayers of the saints. I say, okay then I guess you don't need me to pray for you. Don't ever ask me to pray for you. If you don't want any of the believing the saints to pray for you, then don't ever ask me to pray for you because it's not my body that's praying. It is my spirit. Now, with that said, help me out right here. I want to, uh, one of the reasons why this is such a tough concept for us, you know the expression paradigm shift. Okay, you've heard that expression before. We need to do a paradigm shift when it comes to the church and the body of Christ. And we have been kind of, like you know this series called Ancient Faith in a Modern World. Ancient Faith in a Modern World. Kind of the, the, the two forces that are always working at all times. This ancient faith in a modern world, the difference between them can best be seen by how we approach the idea of community and the body of Christ. Our world today, our modern world, is a very individualistic society. You'd agree with me on that one. That it's very much about me and me and what I need to do, and personal accountability, and kind of me, 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 me. I picture it as the the, the Christian in America today is often running a 100-yard dash. That's how we view Christianity, as a 100-yard dash, a sprint between here and there, and it's just me on my own, and I got to get to this point called salvation where I get this, like, a uh, 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 ticket, okay, so that says I'm saved, and now I'm good. And I kind of did it by myself, and now I got this ticket, pff, now I'm saved. That's not the way orthodoxy has always viewed the church. Church is not a hundred yard dash to get a ticket with a finish line at the end. Church is more, or life on this earth is more crossing an ocean. It's not running hundred yards. It's crossing an ocean. And if you're gonna cross an ocean, you can swim. And you got to be a really good swimmer. Like you can do, if you're really, like good, more power to you. But if you're smart, you're gonna get inside a boat. And inside that boat, you're going to need other people in that boat. One to steer, one to put up the, the flag, one to cook, like whatever. And you need not just the people inside your boat, but you need the people, the experience of the people who have sailed this ocean before and crossed over from one world to the next world, who have, who have started on where you're starting, and they've crossed over into a place Not that they ran a 100-yard dash and they were able to sprint and got this ticket. But they got to the completion of the journey and they made it. And you need them on your side. I want them on my side. This is how our modern world looks at at the spiritual journey. We here, we believe in something called community. And we believe that we need not just to be a, a solo, a lone ranger. We need the church body praying for us, supporting us, encouraging us. But you know what else we need beyond this church body? We need a greater church body. And that is not just our community on this earth, but the community that has gone before us in glory. Who the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Moses. We need Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their experience. We need David and Moses and Elijah and their experience. We need Peter and Paul and James and their experience. And we need experience of people like Virgin Mary who crossed that ocean. Which do you prefer if you're crossing the ocean? Who do you think has got a better shot of making it? We need to realize that to make it across this ocean, from this world to the next one, we can't do it on our own. And we are honored to have a community, a community and a community that is with us to help us on this journey right here. And that's who the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, one it calls the cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses, okay, who is always with us. Make it modern terms for you. I mentioned the Avengers earlier. When we were growing up, we had Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger was pretty much by himself. Kind of had Tonto, but just kind of leave it Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger can fight some bad guys. He can do his best. But the Avengers, okay, they got a whole team. We want to be spiritually like the Avengers. Okay, where we kind of lean on each other. And you Hulk, and I'm Ant, and you're a captain. What's his name? And you're an Iron. What, And this is how the church has always been meant to be. So when someone says to me, do I have? Why do I have to pray to the saints? I say, you don't have to pray to the saints. You get to pray to the saints. I say, you say, why do we have icons in the churches these days? I tell you, we have icons in church the same way a basketball player has icons. I'm sorry, images. Icon just means image. Has icons of Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Why? Because they are his inspiration. They're his encouragement. I tell you, the same way that the guy... Uh, crossing the ocean, maybe in his room, has a icon of 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 Columbus, okay, or 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 uh, uh, Ponce de Leon, okay, or whoever your favorite explorer may be. Ponce de Leon was the guy who the Fountain of Youth, right? He was always the best one, okay. So an explorer has other explorers on the wall because he realizes that they're all part of his journey, and that's why we in the Orthodox Church we do the same. Now, those are my three facts. Greatest among women, honored and venerate her. And she's making intercession for us. You say, I got some questions. I got some objections. Well, like I said, we have a special cameo. Someone's going to come here and is going to uh, share their objection. They're probably reading your minds. But this person wanted to be here in person, but they couldn't. So this person asked that we try to get him up here on the phone. So if you just give me a second right here, we'll try to Get him up here on the phone. uh, Join us right here and see what happens. Okay. think we got it. Hold on. Are you there? Hello, my fellow Americans. It's great to be here with you today at the well, an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. I wish I could be there in person, but Michelle and I have plans for brunch, but it's an honor to be with you over the phone. Uh, uh, the honor is all ours, Mr. President. We're, we're happy that, that that you joined us here today. So you've you been listening in here, you know, and, and we heard that you have some questions, so fire away, Mr. President. You orthodox say that Mary is never ever virgin, but Jesus is brothers, didn't he? That's a great question, Mr. President. They can they find an app for anything these days, by the way. Okay. So the President asked a question. Okay. The President asked a question. We honor him. Okay. We honor the President. He asked a question that I said that St. Mary was ever virgin. We Orthodox, we say that St. Mary was ever virgin. But doesn't the Bible say that Jesus had brothers? Does the Bible say Jesus had brothers? Yes, it does. Mark chapter 3, verse 32 is what Mr. Obama was referring to right here said, and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So I ask you the question again. Does the Bible say Jesus had brothers? Yes. Does the Bible say Mary had other sons? It said Jesus had brothers. Is it possible to have a brother and your mother not have a son? Again, it depends on how you define the word brother. Brother. I have to find the word brother, it would be easy for us to say to look at this at the superficial surface level and say, Brothers equals brothers equals brothers, but you can't take an expression out of the context in which it was written. For you to take my words and take them 5,000 years from now and not understand the context, okay, you'd be misinterpreting it. Does the Bible ever use the word brother for someone who is not your brother? Yeah, many times. We'll just bring you one example. I'll give you three verses, and you do the math right here. Like, you figure this out. Genesis 14, 16. So he brought back all the goods, it's about Abraham, and brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the other people. So the Bible says that Abraham and Lot, that Lot was his brother. Okay? Go back two verse, two chapters. Same author, same guy writing, so it's not like a thousand years difference. Same author. says this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. So let's do the math on that one. There's a guy named Terah, and Terah is the father of who? Abraham and Nahor, we don't need Nahor, and Haran. So Haran and Abraham, what is their relationship? They are brothers. And then Lot is the son of Haran. So that would make him Abraham's nephew. Logic, right? Like I... I didn't pull one, that's just logic, okay? Even next chapter makes it even more clear. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and their possessions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly, regardless of what you believe, did Jesus have brothers, don't brothers? Clearly, if you say brother equals brother and nothing else, then you are negating the Bible. Because the Bible, the authors of the scripture, clearly use the word brother to mean other than just physical brother. And there's other examples, but I don't need to bring it for you. Because again, you know what? You won't find much written about this subject in the church fathers. You know why? You know why? Because it's very rarely ever brought up. St. Mary from the very beginning was known to be ever virgin, and very rarely was this even questioned. That's why you find very few writings about it. But I brought you a few quotes right here from our man Martin Luther again in the 1500s. He said, I am inclined to agree with those who declare that brothers really means cousins. For holy writ, and the Jews always call cousins brothers. You can't get any more. Like, I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm telling you those who uh, uh, say the St. Mary's not ever virgin, St. Mary had other brothers. I'm telling you what your church fathers are saying. That's why I always say, two weeks ago, we talked about tradition. And some people say, we don't believe in tradition. We don't believe in what people tell us. Everyone believes in tradition. Because the one who says they don't believe in tradition, that just means you're believing the tradition of someone who lived, your pastor or your mother. We all believe in tradition. It's just a matter of whose you go with. We choose to go back much further back before that. So anyway, Jesus had brothers. That doesn't mean it was his blood brothers. Is one of two solutions to it. Either A, it was his cousins, which is very commonly accepted, but the, uh, there's another potential option, which it could have been his brothers of his father and another mother. Meaning, we know that when Joseph married the Virgin Mary, okay, again, they never had relations. They never, she was ever a virgin. But Joseph was an old man, and Joseph, when he was an old man, had been married before. And most likely, he was a widower whose other wives had died. So, most likely, he did have other children from other marriages. So, when the Bible says the brothers of Jesus, it could have been his sons from another marriage, or it could have been his cousins. We don't know, but again, it's not really something that's talked about or written about too much in the church fathers because it was commonly accepted from the start that she was ever virgin. So, Therefore, hopefully that satisfies you, Mr. President, and we answer that question. Any more you got? Nice try, Father Anthony, but we all know that Joseph and Mary had sexual relations after Jesus was born. Oh, President Obama, Mr. President. Okay, don't tell me you fell for that one too. Don't tell me you bought into the Hollywood that everyone... This is Hollywood. When we say that Joseph and Mary had sexual relations, that's Hollywood church fathers who are telling you that. Because in all the movies... You have St. Mary, a beautiful young damsel, and then Joseph, that's nonsense. You know how old Joseph was when he got married to Virgin Mary? In his 80s is what's commonly believed. In his 80s, nearing death. He didn't live very long. That's why we don't read about him very much because he died very shortly thereafter. How old was St. Mary when she got married? Conservative estimates say 16. Some go down as low as 12. Times was different back then, okay? So anyone who's in middle school right now listening to this You ain't Virgin Mary, okay? Bottom line is, that was not a marriage for romance. That is an 80-year-old with someone who could literally be his great-granddaughter. That was not a romance. That was not a sexual. That was not an in love. That was a situation where Virgin Mary, like I said, she had consecrated her life to serve God. She was in the temple. And what would happen is, old men who were widows, or widowers, would come to the temple. They say, I need a young virgin girl to take care of me because I can't take care of myself. So they would go. The priest, this is where the idea of priests being matchmakers came from. The priest would choose one of the virgin girls and give him, I'm serious, okay, and bring him. And their marriages worked great back then, by the way. So if anyone needs any tips, okay. And and they would bring one of the girls to care for him in his old age. And then the man would die and she would go back to being consecrated because there was never an idea of sexual relation involved in any of this stuff. Don't buy the nonsense that Hollywood teaches you. Now you say, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says that they did have sexual relations? Well, there's one that may be implying it, and that's Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, which says, Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And known her is like known her, okay, like the Bible know her, okay? Didn't mean like shake hand over. So this kind of makes it sound like, I remember the first time I read this, I was like, I know we believe that she never had relations with him. And I read this, I'm like, uh uh-oh, like there's a typo or like someone like, someone erase. Without going too much into depth. I could go into more into this one, but I don't want to go too far into it. The word till is a key word. And the Greek word till, again, forgive me if I go to, I'll just briefly hear it is the word heos, H-E-O-S, heos. And that word heos doesn't necessarily imply that what happens after it actually happened after the word. I know that doesn't make sense, but let me give you an example. Matthew 28, 20, same word in the even to. Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So the even to doesn't mean that after the thing stopped being. So when Christ said, I'm with you to the end of the age, does that mean... At the end of this world, he's not with us anymore? No. Even two doesn't mean that beyond it, things changed. Another example from Deuteronomy, Old Testament, New Testament. And he buried him, meaning Moses. Moses was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. So does that mean that after that, that they do know his grave? Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, the word "to" does doesn't imply that after whatever comes after it, that the opposite happened. And you say, hey, wait a minute, Father anything? that doesn't make any sense. I don't buy that. Okay, don't believe anything that I'm saying. Again, this is not a major issue for the church. This was always an accepted belief. I'll go back to Martin Luther again, who speaks specifically about this verse. He says in Matthew 1.25, says that Joseph did not know Mary carnally until she had brought forth her son. It does not follow that he knew her subsequently. On the contrary, it means that he never did know her. This babble is without justification. He, the one who accepts his false teaching, has neither noticed nor paid any attention to either Scripture or the common idiom. So what I'm trying to get you to see, is the common idiom cannot be overlooked. It's a very superficial understanding, way to study the Bible, is just to look at it, what does it mean to me today, without understanding the way the person who wrote it meant it to be. All right, Mr. President, are we good to go, or any more you got here? Okay, great. Well, one last question, and this is all that really matters. What is Mary's role in my salvation? Does she even have one... Excuse me, Mr. President. That's a very very good question. And the President asked the most important question, which is, what's her role in my salvation? What does any of this stuff matter to me? And that's what I want to wrap up here with. Now, I'm not going to go too far into the whole idea of salvation because next week, our finale is, how are we saved? We're going to talk about salvation in detail there. So I'm not going to go into that whole thing right now. talk about it next week. But I'll just say this. Like I said, there are two extremes. There are those who ignore her role and those who over-glorify her role. Those who make her, like I said, co-redeemer with Christ, and those who, plain old, no good, no nothing, marry. I am offended by those who would raise her to the level of Christ, and you should be as well. But I am embarrassed by those who negate her role and make her nothing in the church today. I am offended but I'm embarrassed. And the reason why I say I'm embarrassed on this side is because someone, if you want to know who's Father Anthony, can you tell the story of Father Anthony without talking about my mother and my father? Can you say, we want to know Father Anthony, but we don't want to hear a word about his mother and a word about his father? Can you know me without knowing my parents? Like they played a role in me. And I'm not who I am without my mother. And, and the same God who commanded his children, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with promise. The same God knew who his mother would be. And for us, again, this is wrong. I absolutely agree. But to dishonor her and to remove her and to say she plays no role is not dishonoring to her. It's dishonoring to him. And because of that, I say that she does have a role in our salvation. And her role... I'll give you a two-fold role. Her role is my model and my mother. St. Mary is my model and my mother. Just like I'm going to point to myself, and I put myself at her level, but just so you understand the comparison. Do I, Father Anthony, have a role in your salvation? Do I have a role in your salvation? Yes and no. No, I'm not responsible for your salvation. You are responsible for yourself. I am not responsible for you. But I hope there's a role between it's all my responsibility and I'm nothing. I'm your friend. Maybe I'm a guide. Maybe I'm a father. Maybe you say I'm a pastor. Maybe you say, like, I'm a role model. Like, I have a role. It's not all me, but it's not zero me. I have a role, but not everything. Well, St. Mary's the same way. She is our role model. She is our role model because she attained physically what we all strive for spiritually. She bore Christ inside her. Remember last week we talked about the whole goal of life is communion, Christ inside of us. She had Christ inside of her. And what she had physically, I'm always trying. That's why we go to church, is to have Christ inside us. And she had Christ inside her. She was, one of the titles we give her in the church, she was the second heaven. You know why we call her second heaven? Because she, heaven is where Christ is. Where Christ is, that's where heaven is. And she bore inside her. All of Christ, the fullness of the Godhead within her. Our slogan, our title is bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. She literally, we hope to do that spiritually. She literally brought an ancient faith to an ancient world. She literally brought Christ to the world. Literally. Like all we're trying to do, bring Christ to our world. She did that. And that's why she's our role model. But she's not just our role model. She's also our mother. What's the job of a mother? I had to sum up a word of job of a mother in one word. I see it, my wife assault, my mother, and I see it. Mother's all around. Mothered, you cannot put their job description into one or two bullet points. Okay? Dad, you pretty much can. Drive, pay for, like you can put the jack. <laughs> but mom, is kind of an all inclusive. It's like oh, none of the above. It's kind of all of the above, I should say. I would say a mother is a helper. Mother helps. Need help with your homework? Mother helps Need help with a boo boo? Mother helps you. You need uh, encouragement. Mother helps. Mother is a helper. And a mother's job, whatever stage you are in life, is to help you get to the next stage. And St. Mary, as our mother, she cares for us. She prays for us. Even though we ignore her, she prays for us. She guides us. She's a shining light. She's an example. Sorry, right here. She's an example for us to strive towards and to always see her and say, we want to get there. And she, as her mother, says, you can do it. You can do it. If I could do it, you can do it. And she's praying for us, and she's always with us. And if you believe, forgive me if I'm touching a sore spot here, but just understand me. If you believe that your grandma or your mother who passed away is still with you, no one would doubt that. And you would be very offended if I say to you, stop thinking about your mother or your grandmother, whatever. Stop thinking about them. Take all their pictures down from your home. Never think about them. Never mention, never remember the day that they passed away. You would be quite offended. And I think, that St. Mary would be offended. And I don't think she'd be offended because moms never get offended. But I think her son would be offended if we did that to her. No one doubts that their grandma's still alive. No one struggles or or, or thinks anything of remembering them on certain days. Well, I say, why treat Mary any less? Especially, there was a date in 1968, April April 2nd, 1968, and I'll just kind of mention this, and you can go look this up on Google when you go home on Wikipedia. It was a day that everyone knew for sure around the world that Virgin Mary is still with the church and that she may be dead in the body, but she has not left her children. That was the day when in a city in Zaytun in Egypt, she began appearing. And she appeared on top of a church for a period of several weeks. And I'm going to read to you from Wikipedia. So an unbiased, not a church site, Okay, when Wikipedia talks about this, you can look it up when you go home, because it's a very nice little story. It says, the first apparition at Zaytun is recorded on the evening of April 2nd, 1968. When who saw her for the first time? Who's the first one to see her? A Muslim bus mechanic. Not a Christian. A Muslim bus mechanic named Farouk Muhammad Atwa, who worked across the street from St. Mark's Coptic Church in Zaytun, thought he saw a woman attempting suicide by jumping from the structure. Two other men also noticed a white figure, and reported it to the police. Y'all see her in the picture there? I got a zoom closer picture if you can see her. See right there? She appeared there, and people took pictures. The story goes on. A crowd gathered on the site, and police attempted to disperse it. According to the police, the sighting was just a reflection of light from the street lamps. However, the crowds reportedly viewed the sighting as a clear apparition of St. Mary, so the attempts by the police to disperse the crowd were unsuccessful. The, it's, the event ex- itself lasted several Hours, just to, anyone who says that's a hallucination. Someone had a. Can one person have a hallucination? Absolutely. Can a hundred people have a hallucination? Absolutely. Can five hundred people have a hallucination? That's the exact. Yes, i next one. You can say, you can say that one person had a hallucination, you can say two people, you can say three, you can say four people. You cannot tell me that hundreds of people had the exact same hallucination at the exact same moment in time and confirmed the exact same sighting. At that point in time, you would be illogical to say this is anything other than a real event. Okay? And just by show of hands, how many people here actually was there in Zaytun and saw the sighting? Okay, so several actual real people. Okay, so you can ask those real people afterward and they'll confirm it to you. The story goes on, here comes the good part. It says she appeared again later after a few days, this time lasting a few minutes, and then after that became more frequent, sometimes two or three times a week. They sent a council of bishops and the Pope, and they issued a statement. Here's the part I want to get to. The apparitions were also witnessed by President Gamal Abdel Nasser. The president of Egypt was a Christian, not a Christian. And they were captured by newspaper photographers and Egyptian television, people with no Stake in it. No vested, not Christians, is what I'm trying to say. Investigations performed by the police could find no explanation for the phenomenon. No device was found within a radius of 15 miles capable of projecting the image, while the sheer number of photographs from independent sources suggests that no photographic manipulation was involved. Having been unable to produce an alternative explanation for the luminous sightings, the Egyptian government, not Christian, the Egyptian government accepted the apparitions as true. From that day forward no one questioned whether St. Mary is still alive and still with the church and no one should ever question it. You don't question it about your mother, you don't question it about your grandmother, why do we question it about the Mother of God herself? Our job is to honor her. For generations, for centuries, Christians have honored her and we will be no less than them because that's what we've been taught. Get your last quote right here and this is something that we say in the morning prayer to remind ourselves of this every day why she is worthy of honor. She, you are the mother of the light, who is honored from the rising of the sun to its setting and is offered glorification. Not worship, glorification. O mother of God, the second heaven, you are the lighted blossom, the unchangeable mother in humility, the ever virgin. The Father chose you, the Holy Spirit overshadowed you, and the Son has come down and was incarnate from you. We honor her, we ask her to pray for us, and ask her that she would always be with us and be with her children all over the world. Okay? Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. And thank you for giving us a pure and holy example in front of us like your mother, St. Mary. Pray, Lord, that, that, that her example would always be in front of us. You'd help us to learn from her and, and what you saw inside her, Lord, that you'd help us to achieve that same thing. Virgin Mary, we ask for your prayers for us. You should always be with us and be with all your children here today and all over in all your churches. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints, Lord. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.